and welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I have with me, as always, our co-host, Grant McGalliard. Grant, how are you this evening? I'm doing great, Parker. Uh, I'm excited to uh, continue everyone's favorite segment, which is Grant and Parker talk about Steely Dan for five minutes and derail the podcast. Look, man, I'm never going back to my old school. You can't make me. <laughs> Seriously, though, how you doing, man? What you been up to? Doing well. I'm, I, I, I feel like I've been, uh, for, for as much as I have been living the drinking IPAs by the lake uh, or by the ocean life the last couple of weeks, I was doing it pretty hardcore this weekend. The in-laws came up in town. Everybody's vaccinated. So we got to see uh, Booth Bay and Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. We went on a little sailboat on Monday out to the uh, Cranberry Islands and uh, have just kind of explored the town. So it's really felt like vacation the last couple of weeks, which has been, uh, or last couple of days rather, which has been uh, really nice. Yeah, what's, uh, you, you survived the flood uh, and the, the 40 days and 40 nights of rain down there in, uh, in Bay City. I did, we, uh, I gotta tell you my golf game, I have lofty goals for next year. I'm trying to qualify for the South Texas Amateur and I haven't been able to play in two weeks because it's been so wet. The course is basically flooded. Dang. Uh, it's 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 really it's like mother nature doesn't understand my concerns and it's kind of frustrating yeah that's it i hate when that work out um if you're listening to this podcast and you live in texas and you have not seen rain in the last week i want to know about you like i feel like everywhere in texas has had like multiple inches of rain so if you live in texas just on twitter i want to know just somebody tweet me and say hey this part of texas didn't get rain last week i well love it never gets rain so I'm curious to see if Tech got it. That's true. Lubbock is either 100 degrees or six inches of snow, and there is no in between. No, 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 not at all. Um, Parker, uh, watch this segue here. Um, well, while our Texas Tech friends in Lubbock are celebrating a uh, advancement to the College World Series Super Regional, TCU is not. And before we hop into football, uh, as TCU's premier baseball podcast, we should address two big things that have happened in the last, what, three days, TCU was eliminated from the College World Series, uh, lost to Dallas Baptist and by blowing the lead on Saturday and lost to Oregon State on Sunday. And then Jim Schlossnagel took the job uh, down Highway 6 in College Station, which really hurts my heart, but uh, really kind of a tumultuous a turning point for the TCU baseball program. I mean – one, do we have to talk about? <laughs> do we have to talk about baseball? <laughs> um, yeah, it we sucks. do. I think it sucks to be. I mean, I think the most deflating part about this is TCU had the skid, right? They lose two of three to mm-hmm. Louisiana Monroe. They lose two of three to Kansas, and they slide into a tie atop the Big Twelve for the you know share the season uh, regular season championship. And you think, man, that was a, just an absolutely epic collapse. And then the Big 12 tournament happens, and the bats are there. I think TCU scored 43 runs uh, in the in the Big 12 tournament, and you know the, they they found the bats, they gritted some out, they had a two day, uh, a, a two game day, and they they beat Kansas State, and they went and took care of Oklahoma State, and scored just absurd numbers of runs. And you thought, hey, okay, they're turning around, and this is going to happen. And then you get there, in 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 the end of you know you're in the seventh inning, and you're up four runs, and and you can't close and you put yourself in the loser's bracket. And that, you know, I, I you, you kind of felt like they were going to lose on Sunday, regardless of what happened uh, in the first game, just because that, that, that was such a crushing yeah. loss on Saturday. So just an absolutely kind of dismal slide uh, and, and a really strong feeling of like wasted potential, which, which just, just leaves a bad taste in your mouth all around. Um, but really, really what this does is, there's just a stink. There's a power. Can I say that word? Pollar, pallor, mm-hmm. um, uh, around TCU baseball. And there's a lot of discontent and, and, and kind of uh, unhappiness just about that specifically. That's kind of a, a microcosm of what some people think about the last couple of years of the, of the slash niggle era. So um, I, I think it's, I mean, I think it was pretty clear that that slosh was going to take uh, either AM or LSU. Yeah. Um, I, in fact, think he denied A&M so strongly just to hear LSU out. And, and, and what I think a lot of people, I mean, we have, we have some smart, you know, smart listeners and smart followers, but I think a lot of people don't realize that like the big advantage of going to a state school or a big school like that, uh, relative to TCU is you get whole scholarships for baseball. 
So you can field mm-hmm. an entire scholarship team instead of TCU. A lot of guys are, are taking partial scholarships and taking out student loans and are kind of betting on themselves to go to the majors. And it's worked out really well for some guys, but still that kind of hampers your ability. So I think a combination of kind of this malaise in Fort Worth for Jim Sloshnagel on um, multiple dimensions. That's all I'm saying. Uh, yep. And then kind of this recent slide, the opportunity to start fresh somewhere and to kind of have this stress relieved of, you know, having to deal, you know, TCU baseball for all their successes has been amazing because they've been getting by on getting by. You're, you're putting together fractional scholarships. You're convincing kids to say, Hey, don't, don't go get paid to play baseball in California. Come here and pay a little bit of money to go to this private school in Texas. And, and, And that's hard. Um, and 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 TC baseball has succeeded uh, on on multiple fronts under Slosh Nagel, and uh, TCU owes him a debt of gratitude. He is also one of the longest tenured baseball guys, and and you know what, a change will do you good every now and then. And so I I think this is kind of a Pareto improvement. Um, a Pareto improvement grant is where you know we can reallocate resources and make everyone better off without making anyone worse off. And I, I think that's this situation. Yeah, I think you know if. if- uh, I was trying to make a joke about the most impactful departures from TCU to College Station being Boomer White or Jim Schlossnagel. I think Schlossnagel will hurt worse. Um, although I don't know if he keeps his Aggie ring or if he wears his Aggie ring when he plays like Boomer did. I don't know if you know that or not, Parker. The announcers kind of mentioned it one or two times during that regional. I, I think I've heard something about it. I also, yeah. you're pretty, you're pretty young. Have you seen the Snapchat? You know about the Snapchat. I do know about the Snapchat. Okay, yes. all right. I just I just need to make sure that the kids remember forever when Aggie talks okay. about, oh, we you know we're dignified and we've got these you know a great elite program and and Boomer White shirtless taking a selfie before the game. Just golly, brings a my, just warms your heart. My best friend in the world uh, is a big Ag, and he, when he was little, he, he used to wear a shirt that said, "An Aggie never lies, cheats, or steals unless it's a base." And uh, <laughs> I just always found that a little hoity-toity. Um, but no, I, you're exactly right about this Schlossnagel era. I think it was time for a change. I, I hope we don't see similar parallels between baseball and football. I don't want to put that thought out there. Um, you can draw them if you want. Uh, I, I will say that for all of his foibles and faults, TCU went to the College World Series five times during his tenure. And for a very tiny private school in Fort Worth, that's pretty darn amazing. Um but to quote T.S. Eliot here, this is how, or to paraphrase T.S. Eliot, this is how the Schlossnickel ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. And a completely blown loss to Dallas Baptist, which I did not see because I was at a concert. So at least there's that. Another concert? Yes, this was uh, the Spasmatics, a great cover band. Uh, they have them all across the country. They do 80s covers. My mom loves them. Interesting. So uh, there's that. He- you had a better time than the rest of us that were following along with that game for sure. Yeah, so. I was I was checking the score on Twitter and just giving hand motions to my dad, yes or no. Yeah. And uh, it was a big no. Yeah. Tough so, scene. Uh, tough tough scene, tough scene indeed. Um I'm gonna do, do some you want to talk about regional, another well, I was gonna say okay, I'm gonna go I'm gonna do some super regional previews too, because I'm an analyst, damn it. And as much as I want to mm-hmm. ignore baseball now that TCU's lost, I spent a bunch of time building out these previews. And so I'll release them sometime this week too, just so we, you know, we like numbers. Even if TCU's not involved, we like numbers. And baseball fans especially like numbers. Good Lord. Yeah, seriously. Um, well, okay. I, I, here, here's, here's another good segue. And I'll let you drive the boat after this. But uh, Parker, <clears throat> if you want to talk about tough scenes, let's get to our major topic tonight. Yes. Yeah, so before we dive into our first Big 12 preview, the, uh, the Kansas Jayhawks, let's, let's just let's zoom out. Grant, we've been doing this podcast for what two, two years now. Uh, this this will be the second full year. I hopped on uh, the old cast uh, as a guest several times the previous fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that makes sense. So it's like 2019. We we're kind of ramping off, and then Purple Theory launched last year. Mm-hmm. And great. Okay, so so we're going up on two years of doing this podcast, and I like to think we pride ourselves kind of on slow, thorough analysis in different ways. There are times we react. There are times that we have loud opinions and I like that. But I also think that uh, our, our, our strength is looking at, you know, a situation and saying, what is the, you know, persistent long run storylines, numbers, trends that are going on here. And so um, in line with that, uh, uh, again, this season, we're going to kind of slowly walk our way through the big 12 from, uh, I, I don't think we're attaching ourselves to a power ranking. So, so 
we're going to start with Kansas and we're going to end with Oklahoma, but don't hear that, you know, besides those two, don't hear this being a power ranking or anything. We're just going to meander through the big 12 kind of, you know, we're, we're 90 days, 89, 87 days out from TCU football. Um, and so we're going to start our series again, uh, this, this year. Um, I think the biggest thing that's going to be different about this preview series grant is that we're, we're, we're not going to have guests on. So last year we had some great guests. I remember, uh, the Kansas episode specifically, Jack Johnson, our friend, um, the, not, not the singer, but equally talented in a different way. Jack Johnson, uh, who writes for rivals, I, I, I think, uh, or maybe two, four, seven, Jack, don't kill me. Um, you know, he came on and kind of last minute we had a guest cancel and we reached out to him and he was a student reporter for the daily Kansas and he came on and just crushed it. I love that. Randy Peterson yeah. from Iowa state is just a hell of a guy and so fun. Um, it had a lot of great guests this season. We're, we're not going to invite guests on, uh, for every preview. That doesn't mean we won't have guests, but what that means is that Grant and I are going to kind of, uh, take this as a challenge to dive into each team and, and kind of understand them from an outsider's perspective. Um, we, you know, we're, we're talking to people in the DMs and in text messages and emails and, and asking questions and learning, but we're really going to focus on what can we learn about these teams that, that might be relevant to TCU's perspective. So that's how we're going to kind of wander through all of these. Um, that being said, we're going to start with Kansas. We're going to mosey through a little bit. Uh, we'll, we'll probably have, you know, we'll probably take a detour here and there because it's a long summer and that's great. But um, we're, we're just going to break down big 12 teams, what they're, the important things you need to know about each team kind of going into 2021. What are the storylines? This is going to be cool because 2020 was a very weird year in so many different ways. And we're going to keep that restricted specifically to football where we had kind of a short off season, no development, and then a lot of uncertainty uh, and then a short season. And, and so what can we learn from that season? What can we apply going forward? Uh, I think Grant and I see this as a challenge. Um, to kind of understand, you know, this is, this is uh, 2020 into 2021 was a different off season than, than ever. TCU's bowl game got canceled for God's sake. Like it's just been crazy. And so um, I'm, I'm excited to kind of wander through these teams. That being said, let's dive into Kansas. Um, yeah. You have I will say that, that, uh, no, I was just going to say that was very well said. And uh, while we are, taking the time to really delve in and understand these teams. And we're not forcing ourselves to any ranking. Uh, I like starting with the Kansas first because uh, without putting too fine a point on it, it might be the easiest. It is. And it, and it's like, um, it's like a warm up. you know, like I go to the gym and I'm going to bench press and I, <laughs> you know, I put, I, I, I take the bar and I, I just pop a couple, I pop a couple reps out with just the bar. And then I put like nine plates on each side and then I do more. So, you right. know, we're, just, we're just got the bar. We're just popping out some reps. We're kind of getting the muscles working. So, um, Grant, the Kansas Jayhawks are not they're they're not the team you want them to be. They're not the team they want to be. Uh, they're they're just in a bad way. Um, and I think it would be really easy to take this entire podcast earmuffs warning and shit on Kansas. And you know what? We have shat on Kansas enough. And so here's what I'm going to try and do. I'm going to try and spin this positive. I want to preview the Kansas Jayhawks over the next five years. I don't want to talk about the next 10 games. Okay. We're going to talk well, about the next 10 games, but I want to keep yeah. those next five years in, in, in mind because I'm going to drop some wisdom on you. Thomas okay. Merton, Catholic Carthusian monk, uh, oh, no. tells sisters, Cistercian. Mm, no, I think he's Carthusian. Thomas Merton tells us eternity begins anew each day. Alan Watts, mm -hmm. who I have many opinions on, but he, he says a great quote. I love of his, you're under no obligation to be the same person you were five minutes ago. Grant, the Kansas Jayhawks are un under no obligation to be the Kansas Jayhawks they were in 2017, 18, 19, and 20. Um, and so I think they've made a move that's really interesting. Will it work out? I don't know. But I'm hoping that as we preview them, we'll kind of have an eye to the horizon um, and say, look, 2021 is not going to be good. It might, there, there might be highs, there might be lows. Uh, but, but, but it's not going to be good. And, uh, and so kind of in previewing them, I want to focus on kind of the long term here, just because it would be really easy to say, man, they stick. That being said, Grant, Kansas in 2020, man, they stick. One of, they were bad. Uh, 
you know, those are really great quotes. My, I'm going to quote my granddad as a counterpoint here, Larry McGalliard, who uh, once said, you can poop in one hand and wish in the other and see which one fills up quicker. Uh, so Kansas can want a lot of things. Um, do they have the capabilities to do so? I'm not really sure. Uh, but it's interesting that you forecast, and we'll get into how bad they were in 2020 in a minute, but I want to point this out. And it's interesting that you mentioned a five-year time frame because I didn't realize Lance Leipold got a five or a six-year contract when he when he signed on with Kansas. That is either wildly optimistic or they're trusting him to build something. Um, I'm hoping it's the latter because I like Leipold, uh, but he's going to be building pretty much from scratch. Yeah. So 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 let's go let's go big picture and then I want to dive into that. So I kind of I kind of wander back into that point there. Um, Kansas tried something weird. Well. They, they tried something weird and hired, they hired less miles. Well, they hired David Beatty first, which I just don't think was a good idea, but Kansas has not had a full roster for years. And they brought in less miles because he's a friend of Jeff Long's. And they said, Hey, we need you to flip the roster. We, we need 85 scholarship player, honest to God, football players in this, in Lawrence this fall. And, and less has been increased. Grant, their recruiting points has increased every year. And that's not because their recruiting rankings are going up per se. It's not the average caliber of their recruit, but it's because they have 85 commit. They, you know, they're, they're building up mm. towards that 85 commit number. I think they're at 81 right now. I haven't, I haven't looked exactly today, but they're, they're building up towards having a full honest to God roster, which they were so hollowed out for so long that they just weren't able to have these guys. And so um, they, they, they really tried with less miles there and they had some positive momentum. I, I actually think uh, last fall I tweeted the less miles experiment was theoretically working because again, you're just trying to flip the roster and, and not become a meme. Right. And, okay. and, it, and they, they were, they were almost to the point of where it was going to be working. And then we found out some stuff that we probably should have known five years ago about less miles. Um, and so that, that hollowing out that, that, that kind of nonsense is, is devastating in this path that like, I'm not saying it would have worked. I'm just saying I could have seen, I, I understood the vision. I think there was a vision. I don't know that it was being executed perfectly, but again, if you don't have 85 scholarship rosters, uh, 85 scholarship players yeah. on your roster, then in practice, your starters are playing against nobodies and they're not getting challenged. They're not improving. We've seen that with TC's offensive and defensive line in the last three or four years where there's just been this terrible cycle of, well, one side is way depleted. So the other side doesn't get good reps against anyone. And so they don't improve. And it's kind of this, this self-referential cycle. All that to say, they've hired Lance Leipold and I, I advocated for giving them a, giving him a Mark Stoops kind of contract at Kentucky where they kind of had this weird incentive thing to say like, mm -hmm. look, you're not going to the national championship. We understand we want to win eight games as a floor. Giving mm -hmm. Leipold a six year contract, I think is saying, we know this isn't going to be easy. We know this isn't going to be quick. Yeah. Um, and so I like that. I do too. I do too. I, I, it was between him and Jeff Munkin per reports. Uh, Adam Rittenberg had that, and um, I know. And uh, I mean, I would have loved to see the triple, but I like Leipold. Um, I, 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 well, I'll well, first, push. okay. Can I quash that? Because hold on. No, blue blue check Twitter. Munkin said he's not running the triple. Munkin has said I can run a modern offense. I'm running the triple because of what I have. So I don't know that he would. Okay, well, why would he? Because the triple's fun. Anyway, I, I, I want to push back on uh, on on. So there will be teams during the series that I'm optimistic on and you're pessimistic on and, and vice versa. And so I, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with being the dark cloud here when it comes to Kansas. And I'm going to try to do this without burying um, 18 to 21 year old kids that are out there playing football that I never could. I understand your point about practices and I understand your, your point about building out a full roster. And I understand that because it's Kansas we, and not to be condescending, we kind of had to set different goals right? Because their goal isn't to win six games a year. Maybe their goal is to, to fill out that roster. But the starters are playing against nobodies is one thing if you have starters that are somebodies. I'm not convinced there was a somebody on that roster. Uh, I, I think it was a talent drain from top to bottom. And you, you always say, okay, they're improving. You could see how the less miles experiment might have worked were it not for all the, let's call it indiscretions. Uh, I, I'm looking right now, for example, th their performance against the spread and I know this isn't the type of numbers that you prefer, but it's the type of numbers that I prefer. They only won one game against the spread. Now, that was the last game of the season against Texas Tech. 
uh, it was a 26 and a half point spread and it was 16 to 13 tech. Uh, but Parker, every single game besides that was a loss against the spread and the over hit, which means that not only was Kansas not scoring points, they were giving up way more points than they were projected to. Uh, the Oklahoma game was a 38 and a half point spread and a 63 over. They lost 62 to nine. That team was not competent. And there was no evidence that they were ever going to be competent. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think that's totally I mean, fair. I, so I, one of the one of the metrics I use is like I look at kind of expect uh, – well, expected point. I got to work on my branding here. But I kind of look at like, hey, given, you know, given your field position and kind of how you performed, how, how many points do I think you should have scored this game? And Kansas did not break 20 points except for once, and that was against Coastal Carolina at the very beginning of the season. Yep. And, you know, I have against Oklahoma, zero expected points, Texas tech, only 9.9 West Virginia, eight um, Oklahoma state, 6.1, just some abysmal offensive games. And then defense, only the Texas tech game was lower than 26 points. Every other game, their defense mm-hmm. gave up in expectation, not, you know, not including the randomness and all that, at least 26 points. So just, I mean, abysmal. And so that like, that's a, that's a fair point to say, Hey, I'm not sure they're going to carry forward too much there. Um, I, I I have them as, I mean, as it, almost one expected win, but again, that's that's kind of summing across every game, and so I don't actually right. expect them to have one a game. But saying just probabilistically, like man, you would expect them to win one. That's because their you know their post game expectation in the the Texas Tech game was you know 27. Uh, percent, which which kind of gives gets gets them a little closer to to an actual win, but yeah, I mean, it and was that, rough. That was their best performance of the season, right? Twenty seven percent was their best performance against Tech. Yes, uh, TCU against, uh, was twenty point two. Coastal Carolina was twenty two point one. And uh, no, excuse me, TCU was seventeen point three. Coastal Carolina was twenty one point two, and Texas Tech was a twenty seven point four post game win expectancy. Okay. Yeah, and to be fair, that was the last game of the season. And TCU was the game before that. But, uh, yeah, man, I just I just don't think that Kansas team had anything last year. And honestly, and we, we'll get into this a little bit later, but the transfer portal has also shredded them. They did bring in a quarterback, but they lost, like, two good wide receivers, uh, a good defensive back. It, it's it's they're, they're losing talent instead of gaining it or replacing it. Yeah, and there's, there's obviously going to be some churn. And Lance brought a bunch of his guys over from Buffalo. He did, which is good. Um, Coaching staff too, OC and DC. And so putting some numbers on that one, the big one is uh, Karen Prunty, the the defensive back, um, three-star recruit, transferred like yesterday, um, which is which is pretty rough there. And then in the wide receiver, they, they, they had a couple interesting wide receivers um, and they, yeah. they lost both of them. Uh, so they <laughs> lost Andrew Parchment, who was mm-hmm. a, a just a really, really solid receiver had the brunt of their target shares and then stefan robinson is a um a, a really interesting talent who's probably underutilized at kansas the other big one they lost was ezra naylor and so mm-hmm. that's like three of their most talented wide receivers that they lose which isn't great i'll i'll, no. I'll say um I, i'm gonna pull out we're, we're 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 going into the segment about the offense now i think is what we're gonna kind of land on sure. here um I'm interested, though, for, for, for two reasons, maybe three, for three reasons. One, uh, they, they bring in from Buffalo Trevor Solomon Wilson, who was a, a, a three-star, didn't play at all last year at Buffalo, redshirted, and is going to be immediately eligible. And, you know, he is a guy who is kind of a, a, a more of a slot guy. He's kind of the, not that I'm comparing his talent to Rondale Moore, but he's like 5'10", 185 or something, like right. very small. And so he's going to fill in, I think, really slot really, really nicely um, in there uh, as, a, as a kind of versatile weapon. You'll see him in motion. You'll see him in the slot, like kind of one of those annoying guys. Um, mm-hmm. the, the other thing is uh, Jason Bean, I think, is a, is a fine CUSA quarterback. And Kansas has not had a quarterback who has been a fine CUSA quarterback even no. in the last couple of years. Um, the, the, the thing that stands out, like – Jason Bean, you know, his completion percent was only 52.7, but his total EPA, so that, sorry, that was like 114th and 141st in the nation, excuse <laughs> me. 
But his total EPA was 93, which is 47, because the dude can make plays with his legs. And actually, Austin yep. on at Texas at North Texas kind of was taking his job and Bean was running a lot more. There were some injuries and all that. And so I think Bean with his legs could kind of give uh, a little bit of a raised ceiling to Kansas in their offense this year, because last year you had, you know, this rotating door of miles Kendrick and, and Jalen Daniels, and neither of them are good at anything, right? They're just no. okay. at a lot of things, but Jason Bean is a great rusher. I'm, I'm going to say great. I'm going to say capital G great. He's a great rusher. And given that Lance Leipold at Buffalo had a, had a, a history of excellent rushing offenses. I think a quarterback with a legitimate rushing attack and a not a, a not dead arm, is 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 a raised floor for the Kansas offense that they haven't had in a couple of years. I completely agree. And they they are very fortunate to have gotten Bean because that quarterback room, as you alluded to, was going to be an absolute disaster. Um, I was trying to find positive things or just really any indication who was going to be the leader in the clubhouse before they added Bean. And I mean, they were mentioning, you know, random freshmen that are joining. I think one of them was a three-star or two of them, Conrad Hawley and Ben Easters. But with the addition of Bean, I mean, that kind of gives them at least a starter that they know was going to start, which is probably more than could be said had he not joined the program. Um, so yeah, th that is a positive. I'll grant you that. And then, and my, my, my third reason there is, is along the offensive line. Grant, it looks like oh, they I'm were going to push back here. Okay. Okay. Because it looked like they were going to have to start the, the walk on from Notre Dame at center, which is going to be like their offensive line was going to Colin Grunard is his name. Uh, un unrated walk on played like three snaps at Notre Dame and came to Kansas. And you thought, Oh gosh, their offensive line is going to get worse. I will say on the left side of the line, you have Earl Bostic and Malik Clark, uh, very experienced. Uh, Malik Clark is one of the more experienced linemen in the conference, um, which only goes so far as being, um, quality. Right. But then you, you okay, bring I'm, I'm gonna, can I hop in on that point? Yeah, please. I don't want to bury the kid. And pro football focus ratings aren't everything. Uh, he was a zero in pass blocking for the entire season. 0, 0.0 for uh, that, 602 blocks or for 357 pass blocks. That I, I have to believe that's some kind of error. He gave up nine sacks and 32 hurries. <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> no, and okay, and you have him scheduled to start at left guard uh, uh, next to Bostic, who gave up four sacks and sixteen hurries. Okay, but just, Clark was also penalized nine times. Fluid. Okay, Buffalo's offensive line. I love this. I didn't. We did not talk about me being the positive foil and you just just smacking the hammer down beforehand. But this is a great bit, and I love it. Okay, they brought in Nowitzki and Ford from Buffalo. Both of them contributed to a very very good. Buffalo offensive line last year. I'm 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 sure? happy saying Buffalo had a talent advantage over Kansas last year. I'm not sure oh, yeah. Coastal Carolina did, but I am sure that Buffalo did. Whoa, 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 whoa. You don't no, I said Coastal this last Carolina week. I'm standing by it. No, Coastal Carolina did not have a talent advantage over Kansas last year. Uh, Grant, Coastal Carolina it, it ran. Is it is it is it is rare that we outright disagree. No, but Parker, I, I, I think maybe UMass didn't have a talent advantage over over Kansas last year. That might be it. I do, I don't. I mean, some of these guys Parker, are they, they were bad players. I think that's an under. I understand that. I think that's an underrating of the physical guys. I'm just very high on Coastal Carolina's scheme, and I think a lot. I mean, Grant, Coastal Carolina is playing a bunch of five nine chubby dudes at linemen. And their scheme is just so weird that, that I really do think that the difference between them and the teams they beat was largely due to that. We'll see. That, that's testable, right? This fall, we'll see what Coastal Carolina does with largely the same roster. But I, I will say I think Buffalo had better talent than Coastal Carolina. And so Kansas importing Buffalo players I think is going to be a talent improvement for them, uh, especially showing up part. the offensive line. I agree on that part, and I don't want to delve into this too much, and, and this might not be an accurate comparison, but like uh, we talked about the triple earlier, uh, you know, uh, our army runs a, a scheme that everyone hates to play, and they do it with a bunch of 5'10 dudes because they can't recruit big guys because they got to go into the military. And uh, army stunk last year because they didn't have the personnel. Uh, they just didn't have the right guys in there. 
you you can have an innovative sure. scheme, but it don't matter unless you got guys that can execute. Sure, absolutely. And at least Coastal can execute. I I don't I'm I'm not confident that at present Kansas can execute. Totally fair. Totally fair. I think I think I'm I'm, I'm I, I I see that. I'm again. I'm not optimistic. I don't even know if I'm talking myself into this. Like they're not going to win no, seven I don't want to like, be. Yeah, I don't want to no. be the rude guy. I, I'm just saying. I, I'm I'm just my personal opinion. I, I don't. We they're not going to be good, but. right? They're not going to be good. I think they're going to be better than last year. But again, you were so bad last okay. year. What does better look like, right? Uh, no, and I I agree with you that they will be better than last year. Um, I, I just think it's going to be hard to see. But I, I agree with you that yeah. they will be. Okay, so I want to toss out. I want to toss out on offense just a couple of names to know. Um, I think I think uh, I wrote. I did my preview, and I only I didn't write their first names. I just wrote the first Belton initial. Gardner, so, I can tell you. Gar- yeah, okay, Gardner. I was gonna yeah. say I couldn't remember the, what the V first name was. You know, twenty six percent of their rushing attempts, uh, a twenty three percent first down rate, and a fourteen percent big rush rate. So like 10, 10 plus yards break breakout rush. Um, I think he will be the workhorse. And I think he's exciting. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, there have been some really good Kansas running backs. Khalil Herbert, who transferred. Puka mm-hmm. Williams, who had some normative off-field stuff that we're not going to yeah, address. Uh-huh. Um, so so there's been some running back talent. Again, Lance Leipold made Jarrett Patterson look like a Hall of Famer um, mm-hmm. at Buffalo with their kind of scheme and execution. And so I think Gardner will, especially with Bean not really having a ton of arm strength i think they'll be decisively rushed first um and, and so i think i think gardner is going to have a big year for kansas just in terms of being one of their guys that you'll hear and have to focus on um the the other guy who got a lot of reps la- or a couple reps last year who should probably factor in is uh pesek H- uh, pesek hickson um mm-hmm. He only had like Amari, 15 for Yeah, Amari. Yeah, yeah. He only had 15% uh, of their targets last year, but again, Puka Williams is on the roster like they're they're sharing a lot of uh uh attempts. But the the thing that I had circled for him is he averaged uh on I think like 41 attempts, 3.1 yards after contact. So, <laughs> on average, somebody hits him, he's going forward 3 yards, which again, for Kansas to improve this year, they're going to have to demonstrate a, a, a level of grittiness that is heretofore not occupied the Lawrence football facilities and three yards after, after contact is potentially encouraging about someone who can make those plays. Yeah. Especially in a life hold offense. I completely agree. I, I think yeah. they'll have to kind of rely on the run. And I think life holds comfortable doing that. Um, if you, if you want to do that and just say, Hey, we're going to play steady Eddie, not take too many risks and just try to build a functional offense. Um, you know, yeah. life holds your guy. So I'm fine with that. Did I did I talk through your opinion of Bean? I want to make sure that I gave you the space. You talked about the quarterback room, and I think we I think we have that segment. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, that was that was inside baseball for all you listeners. I'm not going to cut that. That was just me being a dumbass. I remember we talked about that now. Okay, this yeah, is going to be uh, obscure, but so 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 before I do that, um, one one thing I tried to go through and do on these previews, I'm going to release this graphic in the Purple Theory newsletter. Like and subscribe, purplethory.substack.com. Uh, but I went through and kind of looked at what's the, what's the main rush scheme we should expect to see. What is the uh, play action rate, the screen rate, and base defense? So it's just some hey, how are they going to move the ball? And so uh, for for Lance Leipold at Buffalo, they're largely running a zone scheme. They're largely running an inside zone scheme, which means they're attacking the B gap. And so I imagine that'll happen. I imagine they'll look at Malik Clark and Nowitzki right there on the left side and try and say, Hey, you're probably our two best linemen. We got to, you, we got to find a way to get, get behind you. Um, they, they ran at Buffalo. They ran play action 32% of the time. So that's one in three passes was, was play action. Um, and so I, I think we'll see a healthy dose of that with Bean, knowing that he's going to have free reign to bail and run uh, regardless of what happens. They only ran 3.2, or excuse me, their screen rate was only 3.2%. And so what that really comes down to is they're not not playing kind of the speed and space ball that the rest of the Big 12 is playing, which may be to their advantage. We've seen Mm -hmm. Iowa State succeed a little bit by zigging where other people have zagged. And so by playing this kind of inside zone without this screen ball, um, a high play action rate. I, I, they they might have a little bit of a funky offense, just in terms of you know not what you're used to seeing in the Big Twelve. I agree, and I you know part of that makes me wonder 
you know, that's that's not exactly what North Texas ran, right? They're kind of more of a traditional spread team, I would say. Yeah. I wonder, being transitioning into this new offense, first off, he's going to have to run because if they're using play action, that means the line has to block for longer than he would on a straight-up normal passing play, and I, I'm not confident Candace's line can do that. Um, I also wonder, too, how he'll fit into the new system. I do think he's talented. Uh, I just think he's going to kind of have to adapt. It, it's going to be a, a major change for him. But, you know, we'll see if they can do it. I mean, it's, it's certainly talent can fit into any scheme. So... Yeah. One, one thing that I think that a lot of big 12 teams have uh, when they're successful is a, a, is a deep threat outside receiver and Kansas has kind of a, a, a structural problem. So Grant in economics, yep. you know, we talk about the different kinds of unemployment. We talk about like frictional unemployment, structural unemployment, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and so we kind of have some structural unemployment here at Kansas because their two best returning receivers uh, Lasseter mm-hmm. and Luke Grimm. Luke Grimm had some good catches against TCU last year. You remember? He they did. both they both primarily lined up in the slot, and they're bringing in, uh, you know, they're they're bringing in uh, uh, Wilson Solomon, who's also a slot receiver. And you start looking at like, man, I don't know how you make this work personnel wise. You don't really have an obvious deep threat. You lost. Um, you know, your, your, your two receivers who are kind of those traditional outside guys with parchment. And so if you wanted to be encouraged about the run game, you'd have to be equally as skeptical about uh, any kind of pass game, just because you, you can't put three slot receivers out there and pretend they're not slot receivers. Yeah. I mean, you look at Grimm, he's listed at six foot 176. Uh, Lasseter is listed at six foot 175. Uh, Quick side note, well, two side notes. Uh, Kansas's fifth-year seniors are listed as super seniors on their roster, like officially, which I think is pretty sick. Uh, Love it. Luke Graham also went to a high school called Raymore Peculiar High School, uh, as did Conrad Holly, one of the freshman quarterbacks. I find I find that peculiar. Uh, Interesting. But yes, there is a dearth of talent, sort of at the outside receiver position. Uh, that might not matter as much in a Leopold offense if they're going to be run based. I, I don't know. Uh, I think it's going to be, as you said, uh, unemployment. Well, what's a, situational unemployment? Whatever nerd term you used. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think that'll just be interesting to see. Like, I imagine only one of those guys is going to step up. I don't imagine all three of them are going to have like highly productive seasons, or maybe they will, and they'll just have chaos ball. I don't. I don't know. Who am I? Who yeah. am I to say? Which I'm fine with. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think if it's going to be anybody, it'll be Lasseter. I do think he's a good wide receiver. Yeah. Um. Although, yeah. if you look at average, de- if you look at average depth of target, which I'm getting from your graphic, I mean, Graham's at 13.5 and Lasseter's at 8.9. Um, obviously, that changes per offensive scheme, but it looks like Graham's going downfield more than Lasseter is. Yeah, yeah, and they and they were on the field a lot together, and so, yeah, I, I mean, again, I, I haven't, you know, I haven't watched enough Buffalo to make a confident statement about this, other than to say, like, hey, looking at the numbers. That's just going to be if we're if we're talking about like storylines of Kansas, we're going to talk about your three best receivers are all kind of that like intermediate slot guy, and you have no downfield threat. What are you going to do about it? Um, so that'll be something to watch. It's a lot like TCU uh, two years ago. I mean, Raker, I guess, sort of played that downfield role, but there weren't guys that you really trusted to be sort of the, the big go get on target. Yeah, not your traditional big. But I mean, I mean, TCU hasn't had a Quentin Johnston since Josh Doxson. Right. Yeah. Um, although, R.I.P. Isaiah Graham. Um, cool. Isaiah Graham's not dead. Just he got killed in the Liberty Bowl, if you remember that. <laughs> I hate that I, game so much. Clarifying. I wish I, I could I, just I, burn that game out of my mind and not bring it up. Sorry, I'm sorry, everyone. We talked about we talked about the Schlossnagel era going out with a whimper. That was my last game uh, I wrote as a college reporter, um, like when I was in college. When I was the front, my first stint with the Dallas Morning News, and I'm like, dude, I might quit journalism after having to watch that game and write about it. It was so bad. You couldn't pay me to rewatch it. It was just an awful game. No. We, you know what? We need to do that. Actually, just rewatch it and just rip it to shreds. We're gonna do. Off. Here's what we're gonna do: is for our for our double secret premium subscribers, we will do a Zoom where we watch that game on like a Friday night at 10 p.m. <laughs> you can pay me 20 bucks, and I'll drink beer and watch that game and complain. Um, <laughs> okay. Anything else about the Kansas offense that you're that you're interested in? Might be a storyline. Anything else you're looking for? Honestly, no, just because I'm, I'm worried about the defense maybe even more. Um, they might have been a worse unit than the offense. Yeah, um, 
Okay, so so I, I did I didn't do my due diligence. Again, we're warming our muscles up. I forgot about this. I should have read some stats off about the offense. That moment is past. I'm gonna read some stats about the defense though, because my God. So the defense, uh, they allowed 0.22 EPA per play, which was 89th in the FBS last year. 0.247 against the rush, which is 114th, and 0.185 against the pass, which was 97th. Uh, Grant, they were allowing 3.11 uh, points per drive. 3.1. You did not. You did not mishear that. More than a field goal per per drive for Kansas opponents, adjusting for garbage time. Can, can I give you a caveman stat? Yeah. Two caveman stats. Uh, points per game, just raw. The offense was, they averaged 15.8 points per game. That is 124th out of 128. Surely, you think, the defense must have been the better side of the ball. The defense allowed 46 points per game, 128th out of 128. That is not good. It's a, it's a sieve, Parker. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, real bad. Um, uh, Grant, my, my favorite stat, we're going to segue into explain it like an idiot here for a second, just cause I'm trying to Please pimp do. out my own stat. But so, you know, I like this stat Echel, right? Echel was that Navy fullback mm-hmm. and they had the longest drive. And I, I just love this idea of kind of game control. Um, and, and a lot of people like to look at time of possession for that, but I like to look at, you know, how often did you have a productive drive grant 75.86% of Kansas's defensive drives were a quality drive. Were a productive drive. So that means they that, that that the opponent had a first down across the 40 or they had a big play touchdown. Three out of four times an opponent had a scoring opportunity on a drive against Kansas, which is just uh bewildering. It's astounding. Is that is, is, is that is that bad? It is it is not great. It is it is uh you know if I were coaching a team, I would not let I would <laughs> I would not want that to happen. Yeah. If I <laughs> If I were coaching Kansas, I would simply tell them to stop the other team. Exactly, exactly. Okay, wait, this gets a little more hilarious, and then we'll talk about some some key players and everything on the defense because I could read bad stats about Kansas's defense forever. Grant, I, I, I so, so you know, you do echo, which is like the productive drive, right? How often do they get a productive drive? And then I like to do points per echo, which is how many points do they have per productive drive? So when you when you give a team a productive drive, what do they turn it into for Kansas? 3.98. Basically, if you got across Kansas as 40, you were scoring. Like every time you were scoring. If, if you give a mouse a cookie, he'll want a glass of milk. And if you give a Kansas opponent a quality drive, they will at least score three points. Yay and verily. Um, yeah, just 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 real real bad. So okay. <laughs> to make things worse, Karen Prunty just transferred. <laughs> No, this is my job. I get to say the bad things. Sorry. They've lost uh, four. Of, they've lost like four of their five best defensive backs, uh, which isn't saying much because the, the defense wasn't good. But they're basically just replacing all of their semi-okay defensive players with, I assume, the worst ones that were on the bench last year. Uh, you lose Elijah Jones. You lose Marcus Harris at the edge. You lose uh, Prunty, of course. Um, it, it's it's not good, Parker. Uh, it's it's really really bad. Kenny Logan Jr. Um, I think is not on the roster anymore. I'm, I might be wrong about that. Oh no, no I had him. Safety. Okay, yeah. I so had him as a returning contributor, so I hope yeah. I hope he is. He's yeah. Back. No, well, no, no. What's he's, our, he's back. You're right. You're right. What's our adage about returning production? We're like, well, returning bad production is 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 not good. But the only thing worse than returning bad production is not returning bad production and replacing it with worse production. Um, right. So yeah. So so I have you know guys guys names you're going to hear on the Kansas defense. Their safeties, uh, you know. Kenny Logan has like 1.4 uh, units of experience. I need to figure out what the unit is there, but he's he's pretty experienced. Ask about he that. Has, can, can we do a little minor explaining to an idiot? What's your yeah? So so that's unit? that's like a um, a participation weighted based on like national averages, and so it's like percentage of defensive snaps at that position relative to the average starter. And so he okay. has like 1.4 seasons equivalent of starters experience. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So, and then Ricky Thomas, 2.2. Um, and, and both of those guys were at the top of tackles for, for Kansas last year, 49 and 35 or 49 and 35 respectively. Can I ask um, a question real quick? Yeah. Is, is it, is it bad when your safeties are your leading tacklers? Well, 
So it depends on the defense that you're playing, right? Right, but I think yes would be my answer. Yes. So ideally, in the so Kansas last year was playing a three-four under Brian Borland, who was the DC at, at Buffalo. They're going to play a four-three, and so in a three-four, your linebackers need to be making tackles. Yeah. Um, they were they were not. Um, there 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 are no linebackers. To, Gavin Gavin Potter is a living, breathing human being. He had ten pressures. There, there are no linebackers to write home about. He's also the worst rated player on the defense. Yeah, he was not good, but he played a lot. Um, and so, so with the 4-3, you would expect some defensive linemen to kind of step up. I think the 4-3 is interesting because they have Kyron Johnson, who is a decent mm-hmm. edge rusher. A decent was, edge rusher. Um, and then they bring in Zion DeBose, who's a grad transfer from Virginia Tech. He has 2.86 years of experience. He's an 8-4-9-6 transfer rating. A pretty good a pretty good player. And so you can start to see, okay, we're going to switch to the four down. Um, we're going to bring in another edge rusher to complement our, our decent edge rusher. And so we have, instead of, you know, three guys who are not good, we have two guys who are pretty okay. And then they have Eddie Wilson, who's coming over from Buffalo with again, more than two seasons worth of experience. He's an eight Oh six, four transfer rating um, to shore up that interior defensive line. And so, I mean, they they have a vision on defense again, I'm being positive, but I'm not saying crazy things. I'm just saying last year they played a three, four and their safeties led in tackles this year. They're trying to show up the defensive line and play a four, three. Um, and then they're also bringing in rich Miller from Buffalo who, you know, 1.4 years of experience, a 0.82 transfer rating. And so I, I think that Lance Leipold and Brian Borland have done a good job of, I mean, I think they looked at things like, Hey, Kansas is safeties led in, letting tackles last year that can't happen. And so they, you know, they've convinced some guys to come with them that can, and, and then gone out and gotten Zion DeBose to shore up some of those weak spots on the defense. No, I think that's fair. And I do think they will be uh, improved. Although again, as, as I've kind of hinted at, I think that's because there's really no way to go, but up. true. You can't, um, you Kansas. can't, you literally can't be worse. Yeah, you literally cannot be worse, at least in terms of points per game. Kansas was 108th in terms of yards per game. I find it very funny, by the way, that LSU was uh, fourth worst in the country in allowing yards per game last year. God bless you, Bo Pelini. Okay. You really are. Well, that's cool. unfair. That's unfair to Bo Pelini. I did not Is expect – I did not wake up this morning saying, I'm going to defend Bo Pelini today, damn it. But I'm going to defend – that first game, there there's some issues, man. But they gave up like 600 yards to Mississippi State, and then yeah, they because were, they, were, they were running man. Exactly, they they made a mistake and they got punished. But Hopefully the rest of the mistake. season, they weren't they weren't that bad. That that number is super inflated at the very beginning. Okay. Well, anyway, the point is the point I'm trying to make is that Kansas is bad at defense, but uh, yeah, I, I think it'll be an improved unit. I, I think Caron um, Johnson really is a good edge rusher, and. and if they, like you said, if they can lean on him a little bit and just get pressure on the quarterbacks, just try to be disruptive. I think that's kind of what they can do. They don't really necessarily have the talent to defend people straight up, but if they can be disruptive and, and do weird things on defense, even out of the base four, three package, um, that's to their advantage. I, th- I think honestly, you know, I said earlier, it'd be nice if Kansas can just run a normal offense and just be consistent and structured and functional um, on defense. They may need to do the opposite get a little weird with it and still be functional. Yeah, I, and, and again, we've talked about this with TCU. If you don't have defensive linemen who can create havoc up front, your safeties just get put in the spotlight, yep. you know, 50 yep. plays a game. And I don't care how good you are. If you've got to be on 100% 50 plays a game or the the, the offense scores a touchdown, you're, you're, like that's that's unsustainable. So um, I, 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 think that's, I think that's prescient. Okay, so that, that's a good transition, Grant. We're, we're, we're going to talk about the schedule here in a minute, but like – let's go meta right let's think about that like five-year kind of we're looking at 2021 in light of lance leipold having a six-year contract what are some expectations for kansas like what would what would signs of life be for the kansas jayhawks oh man um well i it's, it's a, I don't know why I don't have an answer for this question because I'm not used to seeing signs of life in the Kansas Jayhawks, but um, I think you cover a couple spreads would be nice, just at least from a betting, a betting standpoint. Uh, I, I think, honestly, you, you just show imp- literally statistical improvement, whether that's, you know, deep, offensive rating, defensive rating, stuff like that. Just don't finish in the bottom five of the country in both stats anymore. 
be interesting, even if it is not necessarily exciting on offense, be functional, just show that you have a plan in, in place. And maybe if you have a couple freshmen that you think can play, play them and get them experience. Um, I know for a while, SB Nation's preview for Kansas, Bill Connolly when he was there, was Kansas's goal is to have some fun and get some exercise. Um, let's do that, but let's also maybe look good while doing it. I mean, it's kind of hard to give an answer because, well, I do think they'll be an improved team. I think it's going to be hard to go. I, I think the difference between 128th of the country and 120th in the country is often hard to see. Yeah. I will, and, and I think I think along those lines, I, I think if Lance Leipold is coming to Kansas and he's making steps forward, that there will be one dimension, one dimension of Kansas's game where they are top 65, where they are a power five team okay. at this, right? Because right now, you know, EPA margin, offense rush pass, defense rush pass, echo, points, points per echo, points per drive, field position. They are not in a single one of my stats that 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 matter. They are not a power five team. The the highest they are is 82nd, um, which is in their their offensive rush EPA. It, they have to find here's what here's what we're going to be good at and this year we're going to be good at this one dimension I, and, and i think that's signs of life and i think that's encouraging that they were already 92nd in rush epa because you bring back uh velton gardner and you bring in a coach that's really good at coaching a running offense so maybe, so maybe that's where you make improvement that's fine i want i want lance leipold to have on the board we're going to be a top 65 epa rush team like yep we're going to do it we're going to shorten the game we're going to get our guys experience like pick something and be good at it Yep, just whatever that is, find that one dimension and be good at it. Sorry, I'm now just this is mean, but I'm now just imagining Lance Leipold walking into a, a recruit's home and uh, you know the, the mom's putting away the you know the the key lime pie that she made for his visit, and he says, you know, son, if you come to Lawrence, I really think we have a shot at being a top sixty-five team <laughs> in Rush EPA. We can't do I, it without your help. I contrast every recruiting story in my head with Ed O eating a bowl of gumbo and telling a kid they're going to win national championship. And so that, that was hilarious to me because I saw Lance Leipold and the sad Midwestern key lime pie that I would probably eat and devour and think is delicious. <laughs> no, awesome. I, I think that's reasonable, but the question is, and, and not to transition to too early here, but what's it going to look like on the field? Okay. So let's, let's, let's look at the schedule. I don't, I don't want to spend a ton of time like breaking down the schedule and everything. Well, you know, we'll get to games and week, whatever, but we're, we're, we're kind of looking again, big picture kind of vision casting. What are we looking for this fall? So let's talk about the Kansas football schedule. So we'll start with the non-con and then let's talk about the big 12, even though Kansas has that weird thing where they actually, they, they play Baylor on September 18th and they play Duke and then they do the rest of their big 12 schedule, which I always think is weird. I always feel like play your non-con play your regular, your regular season. Um, but unless you're doing the SEC SoCon challenge, which they should, I feel like the Big Twelve should. Um, I agree. So uh, the the Kansas non-con, they host South Dakota, who was one and three last year as an FCS school. That's not South Dakota State. It's not the Jackrabbits. That's not the really good team. But it's they're they're a confident team. They go to Coastal Carolina, Wolf. and then they go to Duke Blue Devils. Grant. Does Jeff Long have a condo on the on the beach in North Carolina? Is that why Kansas is going to Coastal Carolina and to Duke this year? Can I tell you the meanest thing about that? <laughs> the game at Coastal is on ESPN two. <laughs> why For is all that the... being televised? <laughs> okay, that's wild because because I'm looking at the schedule right now. Baylor Kansas is on ESPN plus, and so yeah. ESPN basically said we'd rather watch. Coastal Carolina murder Kansas. Like that's, that's, just, that's mean. I can't, can't like this. Like as much as like over oh, optimistic about Liverpool. Like I really think Kansas should try to play a football season where they're not on television at all. Yeah, I would. Um, I would be finagling. I would be. I'd be like. I would be trying I'd to like, buy out Coastal Carolina and say, nope, we're not coming. I would too. Um, okay, I don't want to go right into like can they win this game? Can they no, not? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think we do that. South Dakota. South Dakota is their one shot to win a game and they will they, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna beat the fcs point they're going to they're going Parker. to they're going to okay okay south, okay. south dakota played four games this spring dude there's a fatigue element i'm telling you they're they're gonna win that game the over under was two was 1.5 i think okay do you want to or, or one bet? either way what's that okay. we gotta we gotta put a bet on this if they win that south dakota game or not 
Well, I think I think our idea was to do a uh, a Google Doc and write write yes. our bets That's and then right. send that out through the newsletter so people can kind of keep track and yeah, That's we'll right. do that. Okay. Yeah, we'll do that. Okay, yeah. So, but South Dakota. Okay, so let's let's give them that win. That's that's fine. winnable. That that is that is, is over winnable. over fifty percent win probability. Yes or no? Yes, yes, uh, yes, yes. The answer yes, is yes. Is. Don't be yes, crazy. Yes, probability. Yes, um, likelihood. Likelihood and probability are two different things. Um, Coastal Carolina next, and then they had that Duke game at Duke. Uh, I mean, Duke's not good, but I still think they win that game. Uh, the Blue Devils do. Um, but the Big Twelve schedule. So you're looking is, at one. You're looking at one and two going into the Big Twelve slate. Correct. Yeah. Well, one one and two, and then you, I assume I have them losing to Baylor on the 18th. So one and three when all when, when they just go into full Big Twelve mode. Yeah. So so I mean I, I I think there's a world where Kansas could be two and two at the end of September. I think they could be Baylor. Well. I don't think Baylor's going to be good, but we'll get. I think Duke is way. I, I I think Baylor's better than Duke. I think Duke is abysmal. Yeah, I mean they're hosting Baylor's. So I mean, not that it matters. It's not. Uh, yeah. Not a, yeah. So I, I I could see them. You know, don't get murdered by Coastal Carolina. Play a scrappy game against Baylor that nobody sees on ESPN Plus. I I could see them being. I wouldn't. I don't know that I'm putting money on this, but I could see them being two and two at the end of September, which would be a position that they have not been in in years. You're right. Okay. On second thought, too, they play Baylor right after Coastal, so they need. They're not going to win that game because they're still be icing their knees after playing Coastal. So yeah, you're right. seriously. Yeah. Like yeah. 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 Okay, that makes sense. So maybe two and two, going into the Big Twelve slate. Um, then they go at Iowa State. Woof. Yeah, not great. Um, welcome to the Big Twelve. Uh, home for Texas Tech for homecoming. No, they're not going to win that game. Uh, Home for Oklahoma, woof. You can't okay. Well, the thing State. about the thing about the Texas Tech game too is like you can't score. You, they are not going to be able to score enough to keep up with Texas Tech. Texas Tech's defense is going to be like fine. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be bad. But their offense is going to score points. Like that's just that's an inevitability. Can and I, you know and they are not going to be able to score ahead. enough. They're, they're probably going to be similarly talented to Texas Tech, but they are not going to be able to score enough to keep up with them. You know, I, I agree. Um, Here's the thought, though. So Iowa State, they play them October 2nd. Uh, they have a bye, then Texas Tech, and then home for Oklahoma, and then away at Oklahoma State. I think you put all your eggs into beating Texas Tech That's if, fair. if you're Kansas and say, listen, hey, we're not going to beat Iowa State. We might not even run a full playbook against Iowa State just to keep something in the tank for Texas Tech and yep. just try to get a Big 12 win. Because yep. after that, it's home for OU at Oklahoma State, home for Kansas State, at Texas, at TCU, home for West Virginia to close the season. There's not a win there. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, West Virginia at home, like, as opposed rude. to in that in 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 uh, Morgantown, is like it's better. Yeah, I just don't but, see a win there. Uh, again, barring, I, mean, I, I, mean, I feel like I always have to say like barring crazy injury or something. Like obviously we can't predict sure. that, but I, I like that idea of selling out. Okay, okay. So here we go. We're, we're, we're casting a vision for Kansas this fall. You you got to beat South Dakota. You got to beat Duke. You try and steal yeah. one from Baylor, and then you put all your eggs in the off in the basket of beating Texas Tech off a bye. That there's four plausible wins. I don't know that Kansas has had four, four plausible wins in years. I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk. I'm talking myself out of this, uh, out of them beating Baylor. I, I think they have three plausible wins. Okay, that's that's probably fair. I and I think they get one of them, and it's probably going to be South Dakota, but. I, I, but you're right. I mean, three plausible wins is better than last year. And right. absolutely. Is. So, so I mean, that, they almost beat tech last year. It's important to talk about um, expectations and reality, right? So like Kansas could lose, could go one and four in the non-con and Baylor in September, not mm -hmm. beat Texas tech and go one and eight or one and 11, I guess, because right. we're playing a full season. Yeah. Um, that would, that would be about as bad as this year. But if they're plausibly in a couple of those games, if they're maybe mm -hmm. covering against Baylor, maybe, maybe that's the one I'm circling, right? If everything goes right for yeah. Kansas, they cover against Coastal, cover against Baylor, beat Texas Tech. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. I, you know, okay, here, here's, we're deep into this podcast, so I can do an analogy, a vain analogy. So I mentioned earlier, uh, you said we were talking about expectations versus reality. Uh, I'm trying to qualify for the South Texas Amateur Golf Tournament next year. Okay. So I set this goal um, mid-May 
I was like, all right, I'm going to qualify for this tournament next year. It's next August. And I went out and played around and I normally shoot about an 82 when I play and I need to shoot about a 77 to really qualify and, and do all that stuff. Um, so I'm getting new irons, all that, but I went and played with my dad and I shot 81. And the next day I went out and shot 82. And I was like, man, I'm not seeing any improvement at all. And so, you know, just because you set a goal doesn't mean it's going to happen right away. You got to put the work in. You know, my dad got a new driver and he can't hit it for crap, but it's, he's only had it for a week. You get these new things and it takes time for them to get ingrained, built in. As our friends over at the Split Zone Duo would say, this is a year zero for Lance Leipold. And if year zero means that they don't win zero games, that is a massive success. You have to temper your expectations just a bit and realize that these things take time um, because the reality of it is they stink. And uh, two games would be a huge, huge um, year for the Jayhawks. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think even if they don't win those two games, you're still looking at, um, again, one of like Kansas's immediate goals, right? Are do you, do you have a full roster of living, breathing, real players? Um, can you, are you, are you attempting a bowl every year? Like, are you flirting with a bowl consistently, which I think is the next kind of echelon up of, Hey, we're mm -hmm. not winning any games. Like, Hey, we're, we're maybe flirting with a bowl. Uh, the, the intermediate step between those two is it's not a meme when Kansas beats you. Right. Yep. And this is yep. the year to lay that groundwork of look, man, we're glad Texas tech. We are glad to get out of Lawrence on homecoming and avoid something embarrassing. Duke. Mm -hmm. Hey, we hosted Kansas and it was a little, it was a little spicy and we're glad that we got the W right. Even, even Baylor, mm -hmm. I think is the other one to think like, woof. We could have, man, Lawrence is a weird place. We, we, we could have lost that one very easily. That's the kind of thing you have to think about because Leipold's coming in and saying, let's lay the groundwork. Here's how we're going to do things. There, there are no immediate fixes at Kansas, even if there is some yeah. optimism about the things they're going to do. But Leipold's coming in and saying, I know how to win. I've won at multiple levels. Here's how we're going to win at Kansas. This year, what winning at Kansas looks like is we're not a meme. Uh, yep. and, and, and I think that's plausible. Again, I don't know if it's probable, but I can see a vision with the schedule where you beat South Dakota, you're, you, you don't get absolutely murdered by Coastal, which if you're running the ball a lot and they're running the ball a lot, they're not yeah. going to beat you 62 to three, right? Baylor, um, you, you know, try and stay feisty. You beat Duke. Hey, you're, you're two and 10, but you were spicy. Maybe you steal a dumb win later and you go three and nine. That's progress. Even, even two and 10 under those circumstances is progress. Because again, Kansas beating you is not a meme. That, that, that's their first step here. I, I say this in all sincerity. If Kansas goes three and nine, Leipold should be a coach of the year. Absolutely. Uh, I, I absolutely agree. Especially given he got hired, what, like two weeks ago? I mean. Yeah, something like that. Like it, it, he should absolutely be coach of the year if they go three. If they go two and 10, I would consider it. Um, yeah. I, it's, okay. it's can I, not good. Can I flex for a second? Tweet from at Stats of War. On December twenty second, twenty twenty, December twenty twenty, December twenty second, twenty twenty, Kansas, you need to already be on the phone with phone with Lance Leipold. I don't know why they just didn't give you Jeff Long's job. Why didn't they look, man? Hire me, hire me, man. Uh, that's all. That's all. Um, okay, so I don't have a win total prediction. We're not going to do that. I don't think about Kansas, um, but. Generally, you have a situation where things are a mess, and if things are marginally not a mess, uh, Kansas is, is flirting with winning two, maybe three games, um, and they're mm -hmm. competitive in a couple. Um, it, it, it's going to be weird. Again, I'm not going to go out of my way to watch Kansas games, but I think I have a couple circled. I think, I think that Saturday, October 16th against Texas Tech, I think that's a really smart game to circle. Not because I think they'll be, you know, Texas Tech will be bad, but Kansas coming off the bye week, playing a running, uh, a run heavy offense. I think that'll be an interesting one. So that, that's probably the game to watch for Kansas this year to kind of get the bellwether of is Lance Leipold's vision working or is it not? Yep. I completely agree. And, uh, at the very least, I hope they have fun and get some exercise. You know, it's good. That's good advice for all of us. So, um, Cool. All, All right. right. So we've Mark, gone call, so long. Is, I just looked at the done, time. My gosh. Hour and 10 minutes about the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, I love I'm it. Kansas podcast do an hour and 10 minutes. About the Jayhawks. If you, 
if you listen to this podcast all the way, if you got to the end of the hour and 15 minute Kansas podcast, let me, let me know because props to you. Um, Grant, uh, you have a piece coming up soon, uh, looking at kind of, yes. uh, best case scenarios for big 12. Mm-hmm. Um, tomorrow or Friday, it's going to be just kind of going team by team. Um, to say, Hey, if everything breaks right, what can these teams accomplish? Uh, when I say, so if you add all the records together at the end, it's not going to make any sense because uh, eight teams can't go nine and three or whatever, but it's best case scenario for each team. Oh yeah. yeah. Independent I, I, of other teams. I couldn't sleep the other night. So I was reading about like multiple worlds theory and I'm not going to go deep into this because we're going to get like, Oh no. Whoa, dude, real quick. But I'm just saying you're just, you're just looking at all the multiple plausible worlds that exists for teams, not projecting every, every single person. So what did the Marvel nerds say? The Dr. Strange quote, you know, a billion possibilities and there's only one where this works out. That's what I'm looking at. You'll, you'll be proud of me because Marvel has been my guilty pleasure. And I'm like, dude, I'll just watch this stupid thing and, and unplug my brain or whatever. And you know what? I'm drawing the line in the sand at this Loki show. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it anymore. It's, it's a cash grab. It's yep. a complete cash grab. It, 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 it's, it's just, it's and unnecessary. It's, not even plausibly like I'm not, uh, oh, I'll watch it and like, it's fine. It's like, no, if you're watching it, you're party to it. Like you were enabling this and nope, I'm not doing it anymore. Yep. You, you are aiding and abetting. I did watch, uh, I did watch What's Eating Gilbert Grape the other day. Okay. Have you ever seen sure. it? I've never seen it. Never seen it in my entire I, I life. I never have, no. Oh my gosh, Grant. We're going to end the Kansas podcast because I think there's a lot of similarities here. Gilbert Grape, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, amazing movie. Uh, Johnny Depp has, uh, you know, Matt, Matt, uh, uh, Matt Damon's his little brother and is uh, autistic. His mom is a former beauty queen who's like 500 pounds and can't get around. And his life is just, you know, it's really, really rough. And at one point, the mother, who's, who's super large, looks at Johnny Depp's girlfriend that he, she met for the first time. And she just says, I, d- I didn't mean to be like this. And... Talking about Kansas tonight, I'm thinking about that and I watched that movie recently. And uh, I think there's some similarities there of just, you know, Kansas didn't mean to be a, a, a joke. They didn't mean to be a team that was 0-12 no. consistently. Um, I, I think Leipold is a winner. I think there's there, there are some seeds of optimism. Again, you got to squint. You got to take good care of them. You got to water them every day. You got to make sure they get enough sunlight, but not too much sunlight. But I think there are some seeds of optimism in Kansas. Um I think the the elephant in the room we didn't talk about in this podcast at all is like, I don't know that Jeff Long is a part of Kansas's long-term plans if they're going to succeed in football specifically. Uh, I hate, you know, I don't want to call it, but, but yeah. yeah. So yeah, um, I'll have my Kansas preview with this graphic up, you know, kind of around your, your piece and we'll, and we'll get back on that, that content machine. So um, anything else about Kansas, anything else about movies that you watched recently? <laughs> I watched Patriot Games on Monday. It was underrated or last Monday. It's Wait. underrated. Harrison Ford's a, a genius. Okay, so I was confused. I love Patriot Games. For a second, I thought you were talking about conspiracy theory, which is Mel Gibson and, and um, Julie Roberts. But Patriot Games with Harrison Ford is awesome too. And yeah, Sean Bean's fantastic. Uh, I'm a big IRA history nerd guy. Uh, I, I won't get into that now. But um, yeah, just just a fantastic movie. We both uh, just okay. got put I, on a I, watch I, list for this. <laughs> I call this. I, I'm calling call it this. now. I'm calling it now before before we <laughs> before the FBI comes knocking on my door. Uh, I'm Grant McGallery. You can find me on Twitter at Grant McGallery. It's spelled like it sounds with all those vowels and consonants. He's Parker Fleming. He is at Stats of War. We are the Purple Theory Podcast. Check us out at purpletheory.substack.com for mine and his articles. Coming out later this week, Parker, go Frogs. Go Frogs.